Hey, everybody. It's Kimberly. Today, instead of our usual Tuesday show, we're bringing you a special episode from my buddy David Brancaccio and the team over at Marketplace Morning Report. It's a deep dive into the massive video game industry and what it can teach us about the economy. All right. With that, let's hear the show. Video games are bigger than movies and music combined. What can the games and the vast industry that surrounds them teach us about economics, business, money, careers? Welcome to the Marketplace Morning Report special we're calling Skin in the Game. I'm David Brancaccio. Here's one episode surveying our coverage that goes along with our full immersion virtual adventure that we have up online on our Marketplace APM YouTube channel. We start with the younger people cracking into the video game industry and what happens when economic forces change a neighborhood. What you are looking at right now is a motion tracking suit, a full body one. Suman Tedros is all Velcroed up in a black jumpsuit studded with wireless sensors. As he moves his limbs, a digital mannequin on a screen tracks his movements. Suman, a high schooler, is learning how to use a motion capture suit to create a virtual character in a video game. It is pretty fun. Uh, very expensive, though. So if you it's are, part of a nonprofit mentoring program in Oakland, California, called Gameheads, where, starting in high school, people go from playing video games to making them. It's striking to see how students focus on creating games that draw from their lived experience. Some explore anxiety or grief or matters economic. Rogelio Lara was 16 when he came to Gameheads. The concept of the game is trying to explain to people gentrification in the eyes of a cashier. That's the best way of describing it. It's a complex idea to take on. What is gained and what is lost when higher-income people move into a lower-income part of town? Rogelio's team calls the game Here's Your Change. Players scroll across a sidewalk to a corner store. Early in the game, you see buildings that are worse for wear. But inside the shop, players find the cashier personable and at one with her customers. One of the first game levels is, hey, this guy comes in, he's like, hey, man, have you listened to my mixtape? And it's like, we were having a little bit of fun here and there. But the idea premise is when individuals enter into this neighborhood, you get to uh, know these individuals from a personal into interconnected level, right? You get to understand the cultural aspect of it, the dialect, right, the slang. But as the, you continue to play the game, the next level then becomes more of a gentrified neighborhood. The student team created a series of dialogues between the customer, meaning you, the player, and the cashier. Enough back and forth bits of conversation, and the game takes you up a level, where the street view is getting spruced up. But here's the thing. As the neighborhood gets glossier, the interactions with the cashier get more formal. You have this sense of community where things are followed down to not necessarily strict laws, but more like unwritten social rules. But now as gentrification begins to start, these conversations are starting to disappear. This is a very, I need something from you, you need something from me, there's no personal level there. It's, it's very, it's very kind of sad. Brandon, uh, it was actually a cashier when we were making this game. So we asked him opinions on like, hey, is this a realistic conversation? That second voice is fellow student game developer Brandon Charles. He joined Gameheads while also working in a real place in Oakland owned by his family selling groceries and drinks. 
As the neighborhood attracted people with more money, he saw brands of bottled water at his store go upscale. Now, some changes were welcome, like the store starting to sell fresh fruit and vegetables, but he wanted his game to reflect the shift in tone he noticed. You get people coming in and be like, hey, do you have this product? And you're like, I don't even know what that is. Um, or you'll have people come in and be like, do you take this up of payment? I'm sorry, we don't. Tell me, how does the payment change over time in the game? Um, so to start off, you can take credit card, but you can't take like things like Apple Pay or stuff like that. Then eventually that changes, um, and you end up being able to take Apple Pay in the second stage. And then towards the end, you can't take cash. You can only take like cards or Apple Pay or just more electronic-based stuff. Um, where in the beginning, it was very focused on uh, the cash format. You had to actually like get change and stuff like that. Um, which is where the phrase, here's your change, comes from. Lisette T. Tree Montgomery is a video game art director with more than 20 years' experience who's worked on some big titles, including Sims 4 and Psychonauts 2. She teaches at GameHeads and is on the advisory board. She calls Here's Your Change an empathy exercise. So how do you take a concept as complex as gentrification and turn it into a topic that you can play? Well, you hone out on the verbs the words of things that the player can do, sell, buy, then distill that into a specific moment or scene or experience that that they can turn into a playable experience or game. Rogelio has just finished college, wants to teach, and to develop video games to help him do that. As for Brandon, at some level, he's living the dream. He once wanted to be an anesthesiologist, but with game heads under his belt, He's now finished college and has a job designing virtual experiences for one of Star Wars director George Lucas's companies in San Francisco. Another team of student video game developers also got entrepreneurial, drawing on a piece of outlawed culture from Oakland and thought, what if it became a sport? The real drive here is to create a pathway for young people so often cut out of the tech world to be able to crack their way in. The rear ends of cars drift with the front tires locked hard right or left. You can almost smell the rubber burning as the crowd cheers and dances. It's a video game that draws from what's called sideshow culture. Drivers showing off moves, a tradition with roots in Oakland, California. What if sideshows were not demonized? Trevor Cardoza was part of a student team that created a video game drawing from these sideshows. As part of Game Heads, a mentoring program in Oakland that teaches game development to high school kids and young adults. They call their game High Sidon, but in this virtual version, the cars doing donuts are not drifting in crosswalks designed for pedestrians. The game action plays out in a ring with barriers to keep the virtual crowd safe. In real life, these daredevil displays have killed people and politicians have tried to crack down. The student game developers wondered what it might be like if these car stunts were safer and formalized into a sport. But if they were not shown in such a bad light, they were originally meant to be car shows, essentially, and just hyphy movements. But now it seems like it's a response to gentrification and the change of culture. You heard the other word there, hyphy, H-Y-P-H-Y. It's a word out of Oakland meaning energetic, hyped up, hyphy. It's a music style and a dance style. So the Game Head students came up with the car game and a separate dance game. I worked on interpreting the mechanics behind the things that they were creating and trying to find ways that 
their passion for a culture can be communicated visually. Anaya Crouch worked on the High Sidon Project. Crouch is from Southern California and didn't grow up in contact with sideshow cars or hyphy dances, so she did her fieldwork. Doing research and then kind of like picking apart things and kind of putting things back together in a way that is more genuine to their experience. There's a creative tension here, thinking about what the rules of these activities would be if it became a formal sport that offered prizes and attracted sponsors, but... We didn't want to put weird generalizations and weird, like, strict rules on it because, in the sense, sideshows are meant to be freestyle. That's the whole point of hyphy movement. Editions of High Sidon and High Sidon Hyphy Edition are available for PCs, and the dance one is available on mobile. Tech giant Google heard about these games and granted the developers $65,000 to be shared with this group and students who did another title called Camino that explored the Cuban slave trade. The founder of Gameheads, Damon Packwood, was blown away by how the students used a lot of that money. So what they did is they went out into the black community and found talent. They found sound designers. They found people that could do music. They found videographers. And so they were actually investing money back into the black community. I was amazed when I saw it. I didn't tell them to do this. Trevor went on from Gameheads, graduated from college, and got a job gamifying advanced medical devices. But this spring, a plot twist, with Silicon Valley startups shaken by the skidding stock market and bank failures, Trevor got laid off. It's a pattern Gameheads mentors have experienced themselves. Paul Rubicki is a game design pro who adds resilience to his teaching. We talk about, you know, sort of that ebb and flow, but okay, that project fell apart. How do you go about sort of pick yourself up, dust yourself yeah, off and, yeah. and continue when that's really, really hard. Trevor's now buffing up his resume as he looks for something else. Fellow Gameheads alum Anaya is focused on animation, and with her UC Berkeley degree now in hand, she's lining up graduate study. All these tech jobs, yet some young people growing up in Silicon Valley did not feel welcome. While the world is full of game players, where do we get more game makers? Gameheads addresses that with a curriculum that welcomes anything cool. And so when the arrow hits the blocks, you're supposed to hit the key, this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. In January, Adonis Renesca was a high schooler waiting for word on his college applications. By spring, Adonis has become a video game developer. His first game is... Bombastic African Beats. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Bombastic African Beats. It was based off of the African country of Mali. Right, down, right, down. <laughs> He's teaching me to press letters on a keyboard to manipulate falling arrows into different color boxes. Boom. Yeah, there we go. Oh, down. Ah. You might need some practice. You think so? <laughs> what would make you think that? I get a D. Adonis gets an A, but I just like to say he's the guy who built the game. He created this for a mentoring program in Oakland, California called Gameheads. The nonprofit holds classes in game development, coding, animation, and multimedia on Saturdays and more intensively in the summer. Before finding this, Adonis had never visualized a career in this burgeoning side of tech that dominates the economy where he lives. In one exercise, a Gameheads mentor asked students to pick from a pile of mysterious job titles. He just gave us a bunch of cards and we had to try and describe it. And I think I got 
senior video game program manager. I'm like, it's, it's like you're going to have to learn, I guess. Gameheads was started by a teacher who one day, on impulse, told a group of slackers if they did their work, he would teach them to design video games. Surprise, they did their work. Then it was up to that teacher, Damon Packwood, to make good. The idea grew from there with help from philanthropies like the California Endowment and over time contributions of money and stuff from nearby game companies including Electronic Arts, Unity and Riot Games. We only do cool things and we only work with cool people and we only have cool equipment and cool hardware and cool software. Among the cool people are mentors who also work at game studios large and small just across the bay. GameHeads is about creating possibilities for mostly students of color who'd been left thinking tech jobs were for someone else. The video game industry, as one graduate of GameHeads put it to me, is lacking in melanin and is now under moral and commercial pressure to change. We have a common concern, right? I want our students to be successful in whatever they decide that they want to do. We just so happen to use video games to do it. And you guys just so happen to have a serious diversity problem. GameHeads has accumulated the technology for hands-on work, pro software, motion capture suits. Adonis likes the donated Ferrari-style seating. Yeah, these gaming chairs, oh my God. But the big asset here is the curriculum. Packwood sees the program as one big hack of traditional education. Tech is growing so fast that we really don't know what skills to actually teach them because in five years, 10 years, they might be obsolete. So like, what skills do they need in order to be prepared for the future? Skills like communication, collaboration, creativity, problem solving, learning how to learn, and having an academic mindset. Here's a class in session. You would need to figure out what goes inside that square. Like what does it look like? Right, is there an icon in there? Martha Martin is from a few towns north of Oakland. After doing logistics in the Air Force, she's in college now, Martha's game has little attackers trying to nibble away at the player. She made a status bar tracking emotional health. So that's my whole game. It's taking your identity and take it to your safe place as you go through your journey. Martha is especially interested in animation, and the stock images she found didn't cut it. When I was researching like pixel art, there wasn't many of person of color ones, so I had to make my own. So I thought... I did that portion. Martha, that says a lot in itself. As we spoke, Martha was applying to join a student group at GameHeads working on a game about love and relationships. As for Adonis, well, he starts at UCLA in the fall. You're listening to a special episode of Marketplace Morning Report about what the video game industry can teach us about the economy. We'll be right back. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. 
All right, we're back with more from a special Marketplace Morning Report episode. It's part of their Skin in the Game series that's all about the video game industry. Now, here's David Brancaccio again with a story about the economics at work in so many games. Video games are a $300 billion a year industry. Big games employ economists to manage worlds with virtual GDPs bigger than a medium-sized country. Let's call it gameonomics. Spaceships going at it. This is a strange universe to find a bank scandal that hurt players in a real way. The year was 2009. Depositors were in a hurry to cash out of a place called eBank. It was a bank run, Silicon Valley bank style, but this one triggered by a real-life embezzling CEO and a pile of bad loans. So it's going to be like this. We're going to portal through. What depositors wanted back in such a hurry was not their dollars, but their ISK, the in-game currency for a sci-fi game called EVE Online, where you build interstellar enterprises. This virtual bank suffering the run was a side project set up by players and not an official part of the game. Yet, since the game currency had value, some players lost real money. Grand theft currency, I guess. Players got a hard lesson in real-world financial panics and the lack of federal deposit insurance. As for EVE Online's official, company-sanctioned, in-game economy, that's still running well for a reason. They've had a dozen or so economists on staff since the beginning of time for the game. Joost van Droinen teaches at the Stern School of Business at NYU. We caught up with him outside a game industry conference. They do this because they know that the economy is part of the gameplay. You don't just go and kill the dragon or fly the ship from A to B to deliver the package. There's also managing a portfolio and an inventory and gathering resources to get to the next level. So in many ways, economy and gameplay are interspersed. They very much interact. Economics is at work in so many games. Trevor Cardoza is an Oakland, California-based video game and virtual experiences designer. Destiny 2 is a great example. Before, um, you have to spend Glimmer, which is like the basic currency on everything. It's like, okay, what is Glimmer worth? Like, how much grinding and in-game action is Glimmer worth? And then, can that be turned into a salary? Can that be turned into X amount of money? Dimitri Williams at the Annenberg School at the University of Southern California uses video games as a petri dish to study real-world behavior. For this, he says, some games were great, including a massive multiplayer game called EverQuest 2, which showed in advance what would happen when the real financial crisis hit in 2008. They match really well when people have the same incentives. People feel about their in-game money the way they feel about real-world money. Not all games are useful to scholars. Williams mentions a notorious World of Warcraft glitch where players noticed they could cause amusing mayhem by spreading a virtual plague just to be trolls. They were gleefully running around and infecting all their friends who were then exploding in fountains of horrific blood. Not something any rational economic actor would do in the real world. So researchers choose carefully which games to study. Williams has published widely on how about a quarter of our friends and family are the real influencers for our purchasing decisions, be it a new dress or a new car. Williams and team work with a company based in Cyprus that makes a game called World of Tanks. It's pretty fantastic for us, a great sandbox to play in. And so we were able to look at when this player buys a virtual tank, do their friends then buy the virtual tank? If they play more, do their friends play more? And so we could find who the influencers are in their system. 
Something else game researchers have learned about real life. Despite all the well-documented toxic behavior of players, many others are surprisingly helpful to each other. Again, NYU's Vandroinen. So a game like Roblox, a game like Minecraft, much more friendly environment. People build things for other people to enjoy, to share with other people. Researchers can use games to study economic behavior, and players can use games to learn about money, business, and economics. That professor has students who make money for tuition by streaming themselves playing video games. I would argue that most students today, the younger generations, they learn about the financial system through gaming more than any other source. More than three months have passed. Summer's come and nearly gone. Gamehead student development teams gather in Oakland to show parents, the community, and each other the games they designed and got working. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the Gamehead Showcase. Remember Martha Martin, the Air Force veteran, and her game with the on-screen attackers nibbling away at her identity? Her hope in the spring was to join a team planning to build a game about relationships through an LGBTQ plus lens. End of summer, here it is, up and working. So she's like waiting because her partner still hasn't, she hasn't arrived. So uh, so she's like, where's my partner? <laughs> and then so she's like, okay, I'm going. And that's when it's called Stars Align. Martha was on a team with her younger sister who had started with Game Heads much earlier. This one um, is a 2D top-down game where there's two female lovers who are struggling the relationship. So they decide to do a camping trip to save their relationship and just to fix it. But since they were fighting, they weren't listening to each other and they got lost in the woods. So then now they're trying to find each other. And the first mini game is going to represent like uh, communication and relationship, how well you can listen. And the second one is balance in a relationship. That's like the overall premise of the game. And you worked on this. Did your sister work on this? Yes, it was it was a team of us. Did you get on each other's nerves? Huh? Uh, no, you work well together? A little, a little, a little tiny bit up against deadlines. Yeah, we're not gonna And Rogelio Lara with the game with the cashier exploring how gentrification changes a neighborhood. He and his summer team have come up with a game where you pick colors under time pressure to squirt virtual paint onto virtual buildings. It's called Colores, Colors. Wanna try it? Yeah, for sure. I'm just gonna embarrass myself like I did with you in May. It's based on what artists did in the Mexican city of Pachucas. Artists in real life painted bright colors onto the exterior walls of buildings in a tough neighborhood, Palmitas. They started it as a kind of renegade operation and the government later kicked in funding. The bright kaleidoscopic colors improved moods and crime in the area went down. People felt safe. People in the neighborhood like felt comfortable to open up their windows and like see the beautiful colors that are outside. And so this game is pretty much a literal answer to the question, can art influence the very neighborhood it surrounds? So, fantastic theme, fantastic theme. What we haven't included into the game is an exposition scene. So it's kind of like this vigilante artist taking responsibility and wanting to make change on their own because sometimes the Government likes to believe that they're here for change, but sometimes the community itself ends up initiating that change, and that's what we kind of wanted to depict in this game. 
Then there was one more Game Heads mentor to check in on. I'm Trevor Cardoza, and I am the network programmer for Black Hat. Yeah. Some years ago, he had worked on that car drifting game, High Sidon. But this summer, he was back helping a student team with GameHead's first game where multiple players can interact remotely. Game development is hard. Remote multiplayer game development is quite hard. Wanted to know how they did it. YouTube. Lots of YouTube, lots of Googling, and just got to be a professional Googler, honestly. In the spring when we first met, Trevor was the GameHead's alum and college grad who, in the wake of the Silicon Valley and Signature Bank busts, had been laid off from a cool job gamifying medical devices. In tech, the jobs can be good, but they're not jobs for life, and student game developers need to be prepared. As summer wanes, I learn Trevor has landed on his feet. Well, actually, since we last spoke, I have actually picked up a job. I'm currently a technical gameplay designer at Crystal Dynamics, so that did happen. Um, And that is basically my dream job. I do want to actually continue with that. But to what extent are other video game companies working to make sure talented people from a cross-section of backgrounds can find a place in the industry? We'll talk to some company insiders on Marketplace in the coming days. And if you have someone in your orbit, family, friends, or school, who needs to know more about how they can crack into video games as a career, you can show them our immersive video series, a companion to what you just heard. You can see the games we've been discussing, along with the game developers that built them. It's on YouTube. Marketplace APM is our YouTube handle, and Skin in the Game is the series. This audio podcast special was produced by Marketplace executive producer Kelly Silvera, with help from Daniel Shin, Alex Schroeder, and Erica Soderstrom. Our digital producer is Jordan Manji. Our senior producer is Meredith Gerritsen-Morby. Audio engineers are Jake Cherry, Brian Allison, Nick Esposito, Jay Siebold, and Jessen Dooler. The general manager of Marketplace is Neil Scarborough. I'm David Brancaccio, and this is from APM, American Public Media. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy.